Welcome to the podcast version of Robots in Depth. This episode's interview is with Julien Bourgeois and is produced in cooperation with Vivolve. Robots in Depth is supported by Aptomica. Visit aptomica.com to connect. You will find all past episodes and more on robotsindepth.com. So, welcome to this episode of Robots in Depth. Today I'm very excited. We are talking modular robotics and the cutting edge of modular robotics. And I'm very happy to have Julien Bourgeois here. And he's going to show us a lot of stuff. But we're going to start where we always start. How did you get into robotics? When did you discover the field that you could build these st- things and program them? Hmm? Uh, so, I'm a computer scientist originally. So. Uh I always been interested in uh, in robots and in robotics, but as a leisure thing. And um, when uh, my uh, former laboratory merged into a bigger structure, the Femtoist Institute, we we tried to uh, to set up some collaborations between different uh, uh, labs uh, in different domains. And I came up with a, a project uh, with uh, computer science. Uh, distributed uh, computing, to be more precise, and mm. uh, and robots, micro micro robots, mm. and then I came up with this idea of building uh, what I call distributed intelligent micro electromechanical systems. Yeah, DMEMS for short. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and then I met Seth uh, Goldstein at the University of Carnegie Mellon, mm. and we. We had the same vision uh, about distributed computing applied to, to robotics. Mm. So I moved to Carnegie Mellon for one year mm. uh, on the position of a visiting professor. Mm. And then uh, uh, we started to, to work on this project of uh, programmable matter. Yeah, and this is so trippy for me because 2005, I read a paper in New Scientist. And if I hadn't picked up that magazine. It was an old one. It wasn't even the one came come in the mail today. I just picked it up because it was lying there. I read it and I found the Claytronics project by Seth Coppen Goldstein and others. Uh, and that's what set me on this journey. I mean, without reading about that, I wouldn't be sitting where I am today. And I'm very happy where I am, I can tell you. And having guys like you talk to uh, me about, and, and of course you, the audience, about this, and it is just amazing. And you even brought some stuff for us to show. Um, so how old is this project? How long have you been working on it? Um, for the whole project, mm-hmm. I mean... Uh, since the uh, merger then, right? Yeah, yeah, since the merge, uh, it's been like uh, 10 years, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, more or less. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's, a, it, it's a long-term uh, project. I oh. think it, uh, we, we can't lie and say that uh, <laughs> it will be uh, ready in, uh, in two years. It won't. Uh, but it's a long-term uh, goal and objective because it's a very complex problem with hardware challenges and software challenges as well. So, And I, I, when he says challenges, he really means it. I mean, he's pretty polite because most of the modular robotics is bloody hard, pardon my French. I mean, the, the number of problems uh, we face with this, as you said, in hardware and, and in software is just mind boggling. And I think that to, to make the progress you have in the first 10 years is amazing. and. The, it's going to take time, it's going to take a lot of effort, and it's going to take monumental breakthroughs. But the reward at the end is also fundamental. I mean, if we get, or I would, and I hope you agree with me, when we get this to work, uh, the world we live in is going to change in a way that is just mind-boggling, right? 
I think it's it will be important to have a uh, to have a matter that mm. we can program mm. because uh, we we have to imagine that uh, every object can be uh, can be molded into a different shape uh, by itself mm. or uh, by an external uh, computer. Mm. So it can really change many many things. We can't imagine yet. I mm. mean, we 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 are thinking to applications, but. Mm. Uh, I think it's when we will have the the technology that we will be able to uh, uh, to see what we can do with it. Mm. Uh, we can think of uh, deformable screens mm. that can take any uh, any shape mm. uh, in two D or in three D. Mm. Uh, we can think also to a kind of a training facility for surgeon. Mm. Uh, you take a MRI and then you can train on. A on a fake body hmm. uh, made that from that feels a, real. Yeah, that feels it's real. It's not a you, virtual you reality thing. It's it's actually there, yeah. and it will re it will not only respond to your touch, but it will also move. Right? If you're working on a beating heart, you're going to feel it beat, right? Yeah. And, uh, uh, moreover, you can peel it off. Hmm. Uh, for example, saying, "Okay, I don't want the skin, and the skin hmm. just removed hmm. by by itself." Hmm. So. Uh, it can provide uh, many advantages over the uh, existing technologies. Mm. We are also thinking to uh, 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 easier development cycle for uh, complex parts. Mm. Uh, when you have the CAD uh, uh, software on your computer, mm. you transfer into the matter, you mold it by hand, mm. and then it's transferred back to the, to the computer. Ah, that so it's interactive uh, computer loop, AP design uh, process. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's that, that's going to be really cool. And what I've been I've been thinking about this area for quite some time. And what I think is that uh, the revolution is also going to be happening on a on a macro scale, on a large scale. Because today we we, we create a lot of things, objects um, around that we use sometimes. But most of the time, it's just waiting, right? I mean, uh, we can talk about the average the average use time of, of a power tool in a regular home, and I've heard that it's 14 minutes on its entire lifespan. So we've, we've extracted the resources from the Earth, we have put the energy in, uh, and then it just lies there. We even have to build somewhere to store it, uh, and, and, and then we use it for 14 minutes over 20 years, and then we throw it away. So with this, we could have what we could call concurrent items. They are there when we want them, but they're not there when we don't want them. Then there are somebody somewhere else being useful for someone someone else, right? So exactly. if you look at energy consumption, if you look at raw material consumption, if you look at uh, logistics, uh, of course, transportation, I mean, we're, we're talking many magnitudes of difference in the impact we will have on on the planet we live on and of course totally depend on. Yeah, it, it could be also self-healing uh, structures. Yeah. I mean, when you have some uh, damages done to the structure, uh, you can repair or the structure can repair uh, by itself. Mm. Uh, so giving more uh, tolerance to uh, failure, to faults, and uh, because it's also a distributed uh, design. Mm. Uh, so uh, it can provide more uh, robustness to, uh, to the object. Uh, we are also uh, thinking about what we can do with the space uh, agencies. Mm. Uh, because on space, we would like to have many tools, but... Uh, Every pound is yeah, lots and lots of money. Yeah. Exactly. So, uh, so it's also a, a possibility of, uh, 
uh, of application. Mm. And uh, the last one is, uh, is also uh, having something that can repair by itself it's also interesting, uh, yeah. especially in the space. Yeah, and, and I, would, I would also say, for instance, in transportation, I mean, if you have a system that could, what we call in computer terms, degrade gracefully. So something breaks. I mean, of course, these units are not perfect. They're going to break. They're going to malfunction. So that happens. But instead of the whole system stopping providing the service it's, it's doing immediately, it can degrade just a tiny little bit the car is going to go a little slower, it might not have exactly the same handling capabilities, but it's not going to crash, right? Because the other pieces can uh, absorb the slack, the, um, the overall solution can reconfigure to, 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 to meet the, still meet most of your needs. And most of our things around us are rarely used to their absolute maximum capacity. So most likely you won't even notice that one is broken. It's just going to automatically order a new one and, and replace that part. I also think that we throw away so much of our stuff because a small but critical part is broken. Most of whatever we're throwing away is perfectly okay. So there's another venue for waste that we could, could seriously address with these systems because we could go in mm. and in an economical and practical way replace parts and then of course continue to use most of, of, of what we would put in there. Can you talk sure. a little bit about the origins of your work in this? You, you started working with Carnegie Mellon and you based your work on some of what they did and where, what, what did you start with? Uh, so, so first, before joining Claytronics project, mm. I worked on a uh, building uh, production lines uh, for sorting uh, micro objects. Oh, so we're talking really small, yeah, really, the size of a grain, right? Yeah, yeah, very small objects. Mm -hmm. um, used, for example, in watches or uh, mm -hmm. some some kinds of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, we we made an array of uh, sensors and actuators that can uh, um, transport uh, parts, but mm -hmm. also sort them according to the shape. Mm. without needing any camera. So everything was embedded into the, the components. Mm -hmm. So uh, Was that because the camera is hard at that scale or was it just because you, you wanted yeah, to make it more simple? No, first it's hard and, uh, and if you have a centimeter size uh, conveying belt, mm. uh, you will need maybe many cameras. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, cameras yeah. are big. Yeah. They, they you, you simply can't fit them tight yeah, enough. Yeah, eh? yeah. So you'll have only partial view of the ah, okay, of the okay. conveying belt. And so it's, many interesting problems I get to hear about. You can't fit the cameras tight enough. Yeah. I uh, never thought about that. And furthermore, it's uh, it's better if the if the production line can do it uh, all by itself. Mm. It's also so, cheaper, of course. Yeah. So we 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 finished this project. Um, uh, one, uh, the technology has been sold to a, to a company, mm. but for bigger size uh, element, a mm. wafer for mm. a solar panel. Ah, okay. Uh, and then uh, it's when I met Seth, mm. and uh, we uh, we began to to work uh, together on mm. uh, on this project of mm. uh, Claytronics. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and now we are uh, still working together uh, on this. So uh, the the idea at the beginning was uh, how we can uh, build mm. these uh, these elements, mm. but also uh, how can we program uh, millions of mm. uh, distributed uh, entities, mm. and that's also a very hard problem. Yeah, I um, can imagine. 
for example, um, and uh, yeah, so for example, um, if we if you ask a very simple question, mm -hmm. uh, how can I get the center uh, of uh, a huge amount of uh, modular robots? Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, it's not an easy question. No. Uh, I thought it would be like. Uh, a 15 minutes <laughs> search on the internet at the yeah. beginning, uh, yeah. but it, it appears not to be. Be why? Why is that? It's because you can see all these uh, robots mm. as a graph. Mm. So finding the center of a graph, mm. even if it's a big graph, mm. it's it's easy. You have mm. the, all the tools uh, that you can find, mm. except that here it's the graph in itself that has to find its own center. Mm. And it completely changes the perspectives and the algorithms. So mm. we can't use traditional uh, algorithms to, to do that. Mm. Uh, uh, ex uh, except that we, we, we want them to, be, uh, to use scarce uh, resources. Mm. I mean, you, can, you could say, I store all the graph in one node, mm. and this one node uh, performs the, the computation. Mm. But uh, so that, that won't scale happen. And yeah. <laughs> Th in that practice, it wouldn't work. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm. So uh, we wanted to have a distributed uh, algorithm to do that. Mm. And uh, we had to, to build it uh, from scratch. Mm. So that's the, um, uh, the lessons that we have learned so far uh, mm. dealing with the programmable matter. Mm. It's that each time we want something that appears to be simple in distributed computing, mm. uh, it's not uh, in the context of programmable matter, because we have different kinds of perspective. Mm. Uh, Actually, from from my years of experience with modular robotics at any scale, there's no such thing as an easy problem. But I also feel that I also feel that the problems in the other end that are very hard to solve with conventional technologies are easy. So we pay the, the price upfront by algorithms, hardware, everything being very complicated and being very new to us. I mean, nobody, we haven't been working on this for millennia like we have in many other things. But the problem we can address in the other end, like re reducing our use of energy and raw materials, and those are already solved. If we get there, or I would again hope that when we get there, we have already solved them. I mean. And it isn't so that we, we, we solve those very hard problems like you talk about in space or we talk about in, in, in self-healing systems that will degrade gracefully. We talk about all of these things. We, we solve them not by adding another complex system on top of an already mm. complex system, making it even more likely to fail. They are solved instantly. They are, the solution is baked into the logic of, of these modular robotic systems. And that, that just that makes me... That's so cool in my mind. Yeah, we, we, we have some pros and some cons yes. about using uh, distributed uh, computing. It's yeah. harder to uh, to do simple things, mm -hmm. but at the end... Uh, it's simple to do hard yeah, things. It, it, it's simple to, to do, uh, for example, fault tolerance or uh, many different uh, different kinds of uh, stuff that are harder to, to, to do with the central uh, computation. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, so we, we, we have a balance uh, always mm. between uh, distributed uh, uh, computation and centralized uh, computation. Do you think that there is a, do we really need to think about the central or is this a sliding scale? In each time we, we face a problem, do we place ourselves on this scale, fully distributed, fully central? 
uh, and do we have to choose, or, or is it always so that we want to go with the distribute? I think it's it's uh, it's going back and forth. Mm. It's really it's is re it a sliding scale or is it a binary? Thing? Uh, no, it's a sliding scale, mm. uh, depending on uh, on the technology mm -hmm. and on the needs. Mm -hmm. uh, either you uh, you distribute or you centralize. Mm. Uh, now we are more eager to centralize a computation uh, within the clouds because mm -hmm. we have a huge computing power. Yeah, but because the, these don't have a huge amount of computing yeah, power. But the, the clouds in itself is uh, is also a distributed uh, technology. So. Mm. Uh, so we have uh, centralized and distribution mm. at every scale, I think, mm. also. And maybe uh, we could have our own a module that is placed somewhere in a structure, has its neighbors. And although we can't communicate over the whole solution, a module could theoretically say to the module next to it and say, could you help me with this? computation, I'm not strong enough. And since they are close to each other, the communication overhead would be reduced, right? So they could form their own ad hoc cloud with their neighbors, right? Yeah, so uh, mainly what they are doing is that they are communicating, mm. exchanging data, data and mm. working together. Mm. Uh, mm. So that's very important. Mm. Uh, by themselves, mm. uh, they are useless. Mm. I mean, uh, if you take one single unit, mm. uh, it can't do uh, very something very useful. No. It's uh, when you put all of them together mm. that they can uh, perform computation and also move mm. and uh, do interesting things. Yeah. So uh, by essence, uh, mm. programmable matter is a distributed uh, mm. structure. Yeah. So we talked about a bit about how this came about. Now you can show us some uh, hardware here. You have to hold them up pretty high, I think. Yeah. Uh, could we, the, the two really small ones I'm thinking are going to be challenging. I think yeah, we have to cut them in from, from some external source because they are, I, I, I kid you not, they're, uh, half this grain of rice is still too big, I would presume. Um, but I've seen them and it's just amazing. But you have two slightly larger mock-ups with you here. Yeah. Maybe we could have a look at those. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh I made a bigger scale for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so this is uh, what we would like to uh, to achieve. Mm. Uh, it's a quasi-spherical structure. Mm. Uh, it's not an easy geometry. We we worked on the geometry for like one year mm. um, um, because we wanted to have a, a, a quasi-spherical structure. Mm. Uh, but it's very hard to build it from a, um, a sheet of uh, silicium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, we have designed this structure so mm. that it can be built. Yeah, very important. It's pointless from a flat yeah, uh, yeah. surface. Yeah. Uh, so first mm. and second, we tried to minimize the the force, the mm. strength, the the power used mm. for moving. Ah, roll it because they yeah. are supposed to roll because over each other. Yeah, they are supposed to roll like that. Ah, okay, okay. Uh, uh, with each other. Yeah. Uh, so you seeing what kind of force? Is it magnetic or is it electrostatic? Electrostatic. Ah, okay. Uh, so it's then controllable on and off, so to speak. Yeah. yeah. So we have two kinds of uh, uh, actuators. Mm. Uh, the bigger square here are latching mm. actuators. Ah, okay. And on the other uh, face, it's moving actuators ah, such yeah, yeah. that we can uh, make. So you can move over with a with a weaker and, and more basic one, but you can latch at, at other points, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah. So it, it's a bigger scale unit. So uh, we are now 
trying to design them for being one centimeter uh, uh, diameter. Yeah, size. that's amazing. Uh, it's University of Tokyo who is mm. in charge of uh, building the mm. the robot, mm. the mm. shell, and the actuation. Yeah, and uh, uh, the um, processing unit. Mm. Uh, will be integrated. Yeah, and uh, I can tell you guys, this yeah, is so this absolutely tiny. If you hold it up to camera there, yeah. the little, the little, there's two lines of text and then there's a small dot. That's the computer. I mean, we're talking not pocket size. We're talking, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, so and this it is, is, as I understand, reasonably powerful. This isn't a kind of a super, super small computer. It's a decent computer, right? Yeah, yeah it's a decent uh, computer. It's a ARM uh, Cortex-M0. Yeah. It's uh, developed uh, by the, the team of uh, David Blow at University of Michigan. Mm. And it's uh, already uh, commercialized. I mean, if you want to buy uh, to buy some, yeah. it's commercialized by a Cubework, Cubeworks. Yeah. Uh, Cubeworks, yeah, company, we'll be yeah, happy to call Michigan them out too. because, I mean, this is amazing stuff they're doing. So they, they have three. That's, that's, that's a grain of rice uh, sized computer, right? They have three sizes yeah. of uh, these. Yeah. Uh, these and this one is the size? It's the smallest. Ah, OK. <laughs> I'm thinking the other one is going to be big. But not very big, right? No, and it's uh, in fact it's it's too big uh, mm. still. So uh, it's sti you, you still need to shrink it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you you have some demands. You're not satisfied easily, right? Yeah. Why is that? It's because um, uh, if you imagine this uh, sphere mm. flat, mm. Um, we will uh, plug uh, these elements mm. uh, on the flat surfaces that are here, mm. but it means that, so it's like two millimeters long, mm. uh, a bit less, but, mm. uh, um, and if you put uh, one chip on a flat surface, mm. it n the, the total size will be one centimeter. Mm. Mm. And we would like to shrink it, mm. uh, we'd like to, to go below the centimeter. Mm. We'd mm. like to reach millimeter scales. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. we'll need uh, mm. to find a way to, uh, to do it. but. It will be for future works. Yeah, uh, if you if somebody out there has probably most of you have probably heard about the big hairy problem. This guy selected a big hairy problem, I can say, because if your two millimeter square computer is too big, you know you got you know you're working on something that's challenging. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's amazing. Uh, so, have you thought any about? of application, I would presume that this is very, very early, right? I mean, you're just working towards something that is working. Uh, so application is very far away, I would presume. Huh? Yeah, yeah, it's it's not a... Uh, it's, it's decades, right? Yeah, it's it's, it's eating the decades. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but that's also, can you imagine where we are today? We are where uh, people discovered electricity and then they didn't know anything about it and everything was really hard and then Maxwell comes along and Faraday and all the other guys comes and do this enormous work and, and we have we have the opportunity to be a part of that in some respect and that's just amazing. Yeah? So, so the applications are not uh, uh, for next year mm. uh, but uh, we, we have some uh, industrial partners mm like uh, the PSA group, mm. uh, the car maker, mm. Peugeot, Citroën, mm. uh, so it's a French, mm. Uh, French car maker. Mm. So they are uh, aware that mm. it's not uh, mm. a project for mm. the, last, the next year. Uh, but there is the group, I can say. I mean, yeah, but the, those companies he mentioned, they, they more or less made the car. They're 125 years old in that business. So. Yeah, so, but they're the, used the, to long-term projects, right? Exactly, but there are partners uh, in the project. Mm, 
Tech Powers Electronics. Mm -hmm. It's uh, uh, a French also uh, mm -hmm. company. Mm -hmm. So we, we have some uh, some industrial partners mm -hmm. uh, uh, for for this project. So mm -hmm. uh, we can feel that there is an interest from mm -hmm. uh, from companies. Yeah, and I also think that you mentioned niche and very s niches with very special needs, like for instance space. Um, where cost per item is more or less irrelevant because all the costs around are so huge, most costs is drown, right? Um, and I think that there the, the properties that we can offer that makes modular robotics so special, self-healing, I'm sure the guys running Hubble would have loved self-healing instead of sending up the space shuttle to fix everything. Sure. And I mean, whatever they paid for the self-healing system would have been a round of sending up that rescue mission. Yeah, and exactly. of course, when we send things deeper into space, we simply more or less can't get there, right? I mean, although we theoretically could go there, it's practically impossible. And we send out billions and billions and billions into space and just hope they work. And, that kind of makes you nervous, I would presume. So um, those will have the, uh, the need and they'll simply, when you become just marginally available, they will be a customer, of course. And then, of course, we can build from there, right? Yeah, probably, because uh, at the beginning, the cost will be, uh, will be quite high mm -hmm. uh, because uh, it's a batch uh, fabrication. It could be a batch fabrication process. Yes, yes. Um, so that's uh, that's cool because the the cost uh, will decrease. Uh, yes. In yeah. terms of the number, but mm. the problem is to reach the uh, yes. huge number of elements. It's like a, a microprocessor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, if we made microprocessors yeah, one the, by one, a computer would be trillions of yeah, dollars. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The the design costs uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, millions of. Uh, of dollars. We don't even do supercomputers that way anymore. They use off-the-shelf graphic cards, right? So yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, what I think about production of these, which is also a bit trippy for an engineer, because of course there's kind of two modes of production. First, we have to make the physical unit, right? And then we make from the unit, we assemble whatever we need in the second stage. But I don't, are, are you aiming for a totally homogeneous system with only one type of module or are you going for where there is a number of different modules cooperating or how are you looking at that? So for now we are, we are focusing on the uh, homogeneous uh, mm. modules. So one type of module then? Yeah, exactly, right? because it's easier to, uh, uh, to design. Mm. Uh, however, um, having two kinds of modules can uh, can be interesting for mm. different functionalities. Mm. For example, uh, we are right now studying the mechanical uh, properties of, mm. the, uh, of the ensemble. And mm. uh, if you look at the, the concrete, for mm. example, mm. Uh, it is composed of uh, small uh, elements and bigger size elements. Mm. And it's all together mm. uh, that is uh, forming something that is uh, very hard. Mm. Uh, so maybe we would need some uh, uh, heterogeneity, I mm. mean, bigger size modules and mm. smaller size, mm. depending on the, the applications. Mm. Mm. Uh, but uh, for now, we have uh, mm. enough, enough work <laughs> yeah. with only building uh, the, same, uh, the same module. So yeah, I understand fully. Uh, what I also think about this uh, when it comes to production is that we produce a very small set of units and I'm coming back to this environmental thing all, all the time because, of course, that's one of the major global macro issues we're facing today. And we have a challenging time really addressing it. Um, it is 
that we build one we build a one factory making modules if it's one type or maybe 10 types i've heard thousand types could do more or less anything um, we could also build the reverse factory so not only are we environmentally friendly in the sense that we could build things and, re and rebuild things without with using basically only energy and very small amounts of it compared to kind of melting the metal and doing a new thing um, but we could also since we have so few types and we know them perfectly we could actually build a reverse factory pick it apart replace worn components and reuse okay components and when we get the worn components in we have solved them the, the the holy grail of recycling we know exactly what material it is so we can say that this is exactly the alloy of, of metal, this is exactly the plastic we're using, and that means that the recycling material we get out of this when a component is actually worn out or too damaged to use, um, we can recycle them with a much better result than we do today. I've heard people saying that it will be a one to, for metals, it will be a one-to-one. -one. So we put one component in, we use it, we get the material out, and it is, the material is of the same specification as we got it from the mine. There's no degradation. You could go through that more or less endless amounts of cycles and the material would be as useful for us after those cycles as before those cycles. Mm -hmm. So that would means we could recycle materials for millennia rather than for, uh, like plastic for instance, when we get recycled plastic, it makes basically goes into garbage bags and other things of low quality of low value because we can't separate the different plastics metal goes into counterweights or rebar but it is degraded here we can uh, even address such a fundamental issue and I, I, I just think that it's amazingly cool yeah we, we didn't think about that but it's a very interesting uh point of view yeah, yeah I've been thinking about this for 13 years yeah, by yeah. Now, so yeah and every time I know it just Literally blows my mind. I mean, I know it's an overused term, but it, it, this is crack for engineers, though. You can just build anything. And I think also, I would love to have a piece of art made out of this. The technical specification will be pretty so, lax, but if I can have 20 of those round modules constantly rebuilding themselves, and I know that I'd never see the same piece of art twice. That would be amazing. I'd buy that in a heartbeat. So you're, you're right to talk about hearts because mm -hmm. uh, we obtained a, a European project, mm -hmm. uh, part of a European mm -hmm. project uh, about that. Mm -hmm. uh, we have uh, two artists mm -hmm. in residence. Uh, see, I love modular <laughs> robotics. It's the science with artists in residence. I love that. Um, uh, so the, the artists are called uh, Senocosm. Mm. Um, and they are uh, now working on some uh, art uh, exhibition mm. uh, using uh, programmable materials. Mm. Um, so as we don't have the, um, the small scale uh, mm. robots, mm. they will use um, uh, the blinky blocks mm. uh, that have been uh, designed uh, first at uh, Carnegie Mellon University mm. and that we have now industrialized. Mm. Um, to create a um, um, uh, heart exhibition mm. using modular structure mm. and computation, mm. so mm. all together. Mm. So they mm. have all already uh, worked mm. on, uh, on this, and we have uh, some quite some interesting results. Yeah. What we can do with that is we can uh, uh, play sounds, mm. uh, display light, mm. so they can glow mm. in different colors, mm. and. Uh, 
we can interact with mm -hmm. them. I mean, the public mm -hmm. will be able to interact. Mm -hmm. For example, you can touch them. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a gyroscope mm -hmm. and uh, also a microphone, so you can talk ah. to them. And when you tap it, the microphone will also be able to hear that. Exactly. So either way. Uh, mm. But they will also sense the... Oh, okay. the what kind of sensor do you have? Except you have the microphone and the gyro. Uh, yeah, IMU, and mm -hmm. that's it. Microphone, IMU oh. are the sensors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And actuators are uh, speaker mm. and uh, LED... Uh, mm, that glows. Yeah, yeah but that, that, that's, uh, that's amazing, yeah. yeah that, that's so, so cool. And, and, and if, we, if you look at it from that perspective, art is also not that price-sensitive uh, 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 market, right? because some people pay a lot for works of art. And uh, I mean, lots of people have a painting at home, but very few people have a modular robotic self-reconfiguring sculpture, yeah. right? <laughs> You've got, you're gonna be the first art collector to have one of those in your collection. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so, this is amazing. So we, we, we plan to have uh, an exhibition by the end of this year. Yeah, where? The in first exhibition. Yeah. Uh, we, we don't know yet. We, oh, we okay. will produce the, the artwork yeah. and then uh, finding the, the place. Yeah, yeah, and I'm, uh, we'll certainly, I'll share that on my blog, flexibilityenvelope.com, and, 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 and I will also but love to bring it to Stockholm here and to show it here. Because but, it but it was very funny because uh, we, were, we were at, uh, we had a presentation at uh, Centre Pompidou in, mm -hmm. uh, in Paris, mm -hmm. um, and uh, they have uh, an exhibition about uh, uh, computer science mm. and uh, all this stuff mm. and they showed us a work from uh, Simon Fraser mm. uh, who is uh, an architect and he, he has designed exactly this kind of structure mm. like 30 years ago ah. bigger size mm. not really working mm. and nobody understood uh, what he wanted to, to build so that was Simon Fraser yes can you was he affiliated with a school or a company or something so people uh, can find him University of Cambridge University of Cambridge I'm, I'm, I'm gonna f look that guy up and I know there is a number of architects that have been looking at larger structures like uh, houses and buildings uh, and, 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 and all the way back to Jules Verne talked about this, where he thought about a, a city you would rebuild every year to, to make it fresh and to adapt it. Yeah. Uh, rebuild, but also interact. With, yes. Uh, yeah. he, I don't think he had the interaction part because, I mean, this was 1880-something. So. Yeah, sure. uh, but, but, and then, of course, there's other architects that have been thinking about reconfigurable structures and also structure as you say that you can interact with and they can reconfigure based on your interactions uh, and, and, and have you thought any about uh, you're talking about the smaller scale going down to a centimeter have you thought anything about larger scale can you build me a house with this or um, not really do you know anybody um, working on a larger scale no because uh, we, th there are many projects about modular robots at the mm. larger scale mm. uh, but the problem is that uh, you need some uh, forces for latching mm. uh, and also for moving mm. and if you have bigger scale units mm. it's very hard to combine uh, them both yeah, either right. you go for mechanical mm. uh, uh, actuation yeah, but it's uh, it's very difficult to uh, to do it. Yeah, it's uh, you have many failures due yeah. to mechanical yeah, uh, yeah, structures yeah. inside moving parts and uh, and all of this. Yeah. And if you want to use uh, magnetic forces, mm. uh, electromagnetic uh, mm. forces, mm. Um, they will eat mm. and use mm. lots of power because mm. to stick mm. you need to power. Mm. So. 
I, I, so that's why uh, we are using electrostatics. Yeah. And yeah. also, and that's also why we are building uh, the smallest possible object. Mm, it's because it scales that way, right? Exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. not only a matter of having small uh, uh, objects. Mm. It's because we can use. Uh, electrostatic forces efficiently mm. at this scale. They scale. They they become. They improve this when the size goes down instead of the other way around. Right? Exactly. Yeah. I know the connector in modular robotics. How to connect things are just a ridiculously complicated. Um, I mean, in an in an area with lots of ridiculously complicated problem, that's a ridiculously complicated problem. I I made a, a list some time ago, a long time ago, about the requirements that we would like a, a possible connector to fulfill. And I think I'm at 49 requirements now, or 51 or something like that. Whereas I think 16 are diametrically opposed to each other. So the more you get one, the less you get of another. And we need maximum of both at the same time. So yeah, I think that, that, that that's... But coming back to that, with, with the size of this country, you, you talked about interacting with them. The larger cubes here, we can touch, we can press, so we could kind of interact with them at that level. The, the smaller ones, will I be able to touch them? How, how durable will they be for me to interact with them? Mm. Can I build a, a table out of them and put a, a pl dinner plate on it, or do I need to just look at them? Yeah. Uh, for now, we didn't include any uh, sensors mm. uh, no. within uh, Within them, mm. uh, but uh, it could be. Mm. Uh, it Are they physically strong? The connections, or yeah, the the electrostatic forces mm. when they are in place, mm. they are very strong. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the problem is that uh, if the the forces mm. uh, decrease with the square of the distance between the connectors. Ah, so they have to be. So if it, they have to be the surfaces uh, in contact have to be very flat. Mm, but mm. Uh, when I say very flat, it's mm. micro yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> microns. Again, a hard problem. Yeah. Uh, a grain uh, of hair would be a gargantuan at that yeah, level. Yeah, exactly. Uh, when I say flat, it's, it means very, very flat. Mm, um, mm. And uh, we have made some tests with the one millimeter scale uh, cathode. Mm. Uh, and it's, uh, you break the, uh, the structure mm. before uh, breaking the uh, the connection. Yeah, I think I find that very important. We, we, this is a, a, a thing we in the modular robotics community, if I can call myself uh, out to be a part of that. Um, we talk about uh, should we cling on to broken modules or should we be able to let them go? And my opinion is that if something goes wrong, we should keep a hold of it because it's better that we know where it is or at least part of where it is where parts of it is, and then we can kind of put that in an area where we, we, we take care of broken units. Other people talk about unlatching from a broken unit uh, as important because then the, the, the system can go on. But, but yeah, the, the, it's, it's the, 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 the number of the, the amount of precision we need here is it's just mind-boggling in some way. Because why I want one that I can interact with physically is because then we can start to make structure that people can they can interact with and use rather than just watch. I don't say that there isn't a huge market for, for, for the other one too, but when we can start to make physical objects that we can interact with, that would mm. be just amazing. But, but we have room. 
uh, inside yeah. for uh, integrated sensors. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I mean, using the, the M3 mode from uh, University of Michigan, mm -hmm. they have already developed some sensors. So mm. uh, we can include them. Mm. Uh, what kind of sensors are we already talking about? Uh, we have the IMU, we have the microphone, we have the LED. Uh, for for the mm. for these blocks, yes, yes. Uh, if we are talking to the small scale, yeah. So th this one, mm. they have already. Uh, oh, uh, that's a really hard problem. Uh, uh, temperature. Mm. Uh, they have um, uh, s uh, like small cameras. Ah, um, but with low resolution. Yeah, right? yeah, low resolution. But we could probably, since there's so many of them, we could just use many cameras and kind of build exactly. an image. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. That's mm. also uh, mm. something we Studio 2.0. <laughs> and uh, a gazillion cameras making a 3D image. Yeah. So, so th they have uh, different kinds of uh, of sensors yeah, already. So that can be included directly because they. Uh, they had a clever design of the of this mode mm -hmm. uh, using some kind of uh, standard standardized uh, communications between all the modules mm. such that it's uh, completely uh, uh, changeable you can uh, use different layers with different functionalities mm. uh, all together mm. 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 very interesting very interesting You've been in this field for a while now, and you, you, you think about it like I do quite a lot, which is obsessed about it all the time. But I mean, let's call it quite a lot. Uh, what has been your major revelations that if, and that also provides the driving force for working with this for, for decades, why are we, why, what's your end goal, except that it's a cool problem to work on? Why do you see the big reason for us to work on it, invest money in it, invest resources in it? Um, for me, the, the, the biggest interest is because it's at the conjunction of hardware and software development. Mm. Uh, uh, when you work on a computer science project, mm. you, you only have something virtual. Mm. Uh, when you work on the robotics part, you, you have the object, but you don't have the full usage of it, mm. it's when you combine both mm. that you can have uh, all the perspectives that are uh, very interesting to to show. Mm. So and also going back again, you talked about doing an initial re release, molding it with your hand, putting it back into the computer, and iterating that. That that's going to be an awesome thing, right? Yeah, exactly. I, I think this 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 is very interesting. This relation between virtual and uh, and physical world. Mm. Uh, I mean, from a Mm. Philosophic point of view, also. Yeah, the, uh, the grander scheme of things. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I think that that is one of my rationales for doing this, and I put a lot of effort into this. Uh, uh, Me too. Yeah, <laughs> and I think it's the environment, the durability, the sustainability, but also the ability to 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 do so many new things and put so much more capabilities into the hands of so many more. I mean, today to produce physical items is complicated. You need a big factory, you need lots of money and lots of skill and lots of time. And it's hard to share skills. Uh, we've seen the 3D printer revolution just by the fact that you can share modules between each other. But if we made this, or again, when we make it work, um, 
this is going to have such a profound effect on so many areas. It's hard to imagine. Yeah. I usually say this is the same thing as as the transistor or or electricity or, or magnetism or some of those fundamental discoveries we've been doing over the millennia. And we, we even didn't think about uh, what uh, combined functionalities we can uh, we can provide. Uh, for example, maybe these all these robots working together can mm. replace uh the computing power of a phone or uh another kind of uh of element mm. so combining their uh, uh uh their physical uh appearance is one thing mm. but also combining their computational power mm. uh, maybe mm. can provide some new applications or mm. new elements mm. i think mm. we are really now uh, before the beginning of all of this yeah yeah and i think that that it's an amazing time to be to be active in the area and i understand that from a science perspective this is just perfect very hard problems that you can sink your teeth in over a long time but also with a huge end goal and 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 and, and you there's always some traction shown i mean we, we talk about the problems are hard but we are making progress and that that just keeps me so uh excited about uh, about this area so thank you very much for taking taking the time to do an interview i appreciate that a lot and this is not this is your first interview but it's certainly not your last we're going to follow this area forever and and i think the audience is also going to be excited about seeing the pro the progress thank you very much for taking the time thank you so much for uh, this interview it was very nice to uh, not only to interview but to to talk without you about yeah, that, this subject that's... We, we can feel that uh, I can feel that you you have a, a passion about that. Yeah, uh, it's this is something you the audience doesn't know, but my job here is to carry the equipment and make the interviewee feel comfortable, and they do the rest. I don't know anything; they know so much more, and I'm very happy that you take the time to share this knowledge with everyone. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you liked this episode of the podcast version of Robots in Depth. This episode is produced together with Vvolver. Devolver is a platform and community providing engineers informative content that help them innovate. It's how engineers stay cutting edge. Optomica is the founding sponsor for Robots in Depth. Optomica rents anything in modular robotics. Dream, rent, build. Visit optomica.com to connect. I'm your host, Per Sherboy. Until the next episode, thank you for listening.